0: All right, friends, Greg Kokel here, uh, our second hour of the week, and I'm glad you're with me here. I've just been sitting for five minutes since the first hour, and uh, Amy is not here to take calls. Katie's doing the job, but Amy is listening. I know she is. I know she's listening. So uh, good to have Katie on board answering your calls. We've got three people in the queue, and I will get to you shortly. Uh, Bob in uh, Burgettstown, Pennsylvania, Johnny, North Carolina, and Tim in Canada. Okay, I look forward to talking to you shortly. I wanted to make reference to something that one of my teammates uh, sent out, just came out April 1st. And uh, that's uh, his letter. I send out mentoring letters, but all of our team write pieces, short pieces, that get sent out and all get posted on our website. And uh, I'm so proud of my team, this one from Alan Schliemann. And Alan has really done a deep dive in things like homosexuality and gender and marriage and all of that stuff, and other issues as well. But this piece is just titled, What is a Woman? And I thought I'd I'd read a couple of Uh, paragraphs from it because it's so well done. It's available on our website. Go to str.org and it's probably front and center there on the homepage. What is a woman? I address this question in the new book coming out in Street Smarts. Uh, I like the way Alan speaks of it. and Actually, I learned something new here. I sent him a note the other day. I said, hey, this is great. So I want to pass it on to you. And what I learned was just a way of characterizing it to make things clear because this is an area where there's a lot of confusion in the culture, but not only that, in the church as well. And I think when everyone—I'm trying to think of the best way to put this— when everybody else um, sees the world one way and we see it another way, it is easy to begin thinking that we've got it wrong, and we're upside down, not the rest of the world. But I'm just here to tell you, just because the world is confused, doesn't need mean we need to be confused, especially in this issue. Okay, now this question, what is a woman, uh, came from, um, is it Matt? Oh God, I'm losing the name. I want to say Matt Shaw. Is that right? Now see if Amy is here, she, oh Walsh, thank you. That was Kyle. Kyle came through in the clutch. (laughs) Oh, Matt Walsh. Thank you. Sorry, Matt. haven't met him, but I do appreciate his work. And that is the question that he asks to try to bring clarity to this issue, because there's no answer except for the standard answer, you know. Anyway, in addressing that question, Alan then uh, talks about numerous definitions for a woman, and they come and fall in three categories. One is circular, the other one is absurd, and the final one is accurate. Now, he, he, he points out that first some definitions of, of, of a woman are circular, and that means that they include the term inside the definition. Well, that doesn't help you uh, when when you do that. For example, uh, let's see, <laughs> nuclear power is energy derived from nuclear source. Uh, well, it, Wait, we still need to know what nuclear is. Never mind if you already know it. This doesn't work as a definition because it just goes in circles, okay? So when somebody says that, uh, well, a woman is anyone who identifies as a woman, well, you still haven't determined what the woman is that they identify with. Now, I, I... I, I I realize that some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute, we all know what that means, so we know what they mean. Here's the problem. No, we don't. This is precisely what's at issue. What does that word mean? Okay, so that's a circular definition. Um, As Alan puts it here, after all, what is that thing, a woman, that the person is identifying as? So they need to avoid the term "woman" in their definition. Good point. Second one: some definitions are, are just absurd. Uh, he cites Cambridge Dictionary recently amended its definition of a woman. By the way, lots of dictionaries are doing this: an adult who lives and identifies. And by the way, how, why does it have to be an adult? I I, I I'm just re, okay. Just going along: an adult who lives and identifies as female. Though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. Now, Ellen points out, notice they've replaced woman with female. Now, that kind of averts the circular definition, but it creates a new problem because female is a reference to biology. A person who's a female has XX chromosomes and reproductive organs that make bearing children. Possible. Okay, let me just pause there. That's his text, but it's it's such a common sense notion, and it really is helpful. <laughs> the female is the one who bears children, or at least has the capability. So you you could have cats or dogs or or, or uh, butterflies or anything. What, what 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 is the difference between a male and a female? It is their reproductive capability, the role that they play in reproduction. All right. And so when speaking of a human being, a female uh, is a person who has an XX chromosome and reproductive organs that make childbearing possible. So if that's the definition, what does it mean for a man who has XY chromosomes to identify as a person who possesses ovaries or uterus or breasts when he doesn't? You see the problem there. That, That creates an absurdity. I believe I'm the kind of individual that possesses ovaries. I believe I have ovaries, but you don't. No, but I believe I do. Well we, uh, they wouldn't put it that way, but that's what this amounts to and this is why Ellen said that's kind of strange. It's actually worse than strange. it's just nonsense. And I'm not trying to belittle anybody. I'm just pointing out that this doesn't take us anywhere sound. as he puts it, it's absurd, okay? And then he gives an example similar to a 69-year-old Dutch TV personality who decided to identify as a 49-year-old and demanded the courts change his legal age. No amount of sincerity, home arms, or surgical intervention can make him younger. He can make cosmetic changes to his body that make him look younger, but he'll never be younger. That's because age is a biological reality that cannot be changed in the same way. A person's sex is a biological reality, okay? Now, um, one last point here, and this is the point that, that I, I really benefited from. He said this way of, of putting it, understanding it, has the additional benefit of, of clarifying the answer to another question. How do we know there are only two sexes? These transgender advocates have positive that, you know, because there are intersex individuals, that that is not everybody has XX or XY, but there are abnormalities, all right? That therefore, since there are these variations, which are rare, um, sex must be on a spectrum then, okay? And, And here's what Alan says in response to that. He says, to the idea there are more than two sexes, he said, uh, this is pseudoscience. We know there are only two sexes because there are only two kinds of gametes, that's reproductive cells, that a human can produce. Either your body creates sperm or it creates eggs. You're on one side of the equation or the other. There's no way to get away from the fact that human beings as a species has binary sexuality. The male contributes one part, the female contributes another part, and when the two work together properly, they produce a new part, a new human being. This is why, no duh, Genesis, male and female, he created them, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Incidentally, when Jesus was asked about the legitimacy of divorce, it's interesting how he starts. It's in Matthew 19. He starts by saying, have you not read that from the beginning he made them male and female? It's interesting that he starts his answer to divorce with an observation that human sexuality is binary, male and female. That's Jesus. I mean, somebody wants to complain about Jesus, they could do that. But But I don't think Jesus is speaking there as the incarnate Son of God. He's speaking as someone who can read the Torah, for one, and who is a reasonably observant human being, because you don't need the Bible to know this. Okay, now some people can't produce sperm and eggs, either because they're—and I'm back to the article here—because um, they're, they're intersex, or they've had a, the relevant organs removed. But this does nothing to nullify our understanding that there are only two sexes. It just means they're born with or have had a change to their body that prohibits the development of their male or female sex organs. It doesn't mean they represent another sex. If if a person is born without a leg, that wouldn't declassify humans as bipedal, you know, walking on two legs. It just means that that individual person was born with an anomaly, one leg instead of two. So just because something goes wrong doesn't mean there's a spectrum that's legitimate. No, something has gone wrong, and we acknowledge that. And and we don't do it in a condescending way. It is wrong. We ought to to mourn instead of celebrate and have people so afflicted get the help that they need so that they can potentially at least be whole again. Anyway, nice job, Alan. What is a woman? I'm sure you can find it at str.org. All right, let's go to phones. And uh, Bob has been on for a while from Burgettstown, Pennsylvania. Where's that, Bob?
1: It's in western Pennsylvania, about a half an hour from Pittsburgh.
0: Oh, okay. So you probably weren't close enough for the Philly reality a couple of weeks ago, were you?
1: No, unfortunately not. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay, what's on your mind?
1: Well, um, I'm a men's ministry leader, and and I teach a Bible study on Sunday mornings uh, with, with one of my pastors. And one of the men in my my group has, has really been grieved by the fact that his first wife and he uh, divorced when his daughter was about two years old, mm. and he hadn't had any contact with her for about forty years. Wow! When um, he did have a chance to reach out to her, his ex-wife made the comment that, you know, she's she's uh, claiming to be gay and she's she's married a woman and. And uh, she would meet with him as long as he didn't uh, speak about Christianity or, or anything regarding you know the Bible or Jesus. Uh huh. And it's been a it's been something that's really grieved him. She's been to his house and and uh, he, he we were talking about this last night. A group we've been studying your book Tactics mm-hmm. as a, And um, he he uh, said that you know even if he plays uh, Christian music as background music when she's there, she'll she asked him to, you know, move ahead and put put something else on. I got it. So really close to any mm-hmm. part, of, you know, the the scripture or, or Christianity. Mm-hmm. So his his question was, you know, how might he be able to reach out to her and have you know start a conversation, put that stone in her shoe that mm-hmm. that would uh, begin to get her thinking about. Um, the types of things that he would like to lead her into Mm -hmm. without pushing her away any further uh than she already is
0: Mm -hmm. well that presumes there is such a thing as putting a stone in her shoe in a relevant way that won't push her away and um i i mean my my counsel is in some ways it's it's fairly simple um especially in a in a in a family-relational circumstance, because there are, there are very close people in my family that are not Christian, okay? Sure. And very close. And so, now what? They have different political views than I do, they have different moral views in some sense than I do, I'm not sure of all of them, but there, there's just no, um, at the moment, tolerance for any kind of uh, I want to say preaching, but that's—I don't mean it that aggressively. But in, any any tolerance for any kind of advancement of my point of view. And I wrote the book on tactics, so I know all of them I could use. <laughs> but what I've decided to do in this case is to not convince her of my view, in tactically speaking. I mean, using tactics to, account, but to convince her of my love. Mm. It's the only thing that I am trying to do now, and. uh and, and I became a Christian when I was 23 years old. Lots of times you have people who are, who are Christians and family members that are not, and it's someone on the outside that has the influence. I'm praying a lot for her, yes. and I'm trying to show her grace and kindness and not try to show her where she's wrong. She's not open to hearing that okay? And all that will do at this point is to damage our relationship, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to sacrifice that relationship. Now, sometimes the relationship gets sacrificed, but not in virtue of what the Christian has done. If, for example, the young lady in this situation says, unless you come to my wedding, unless you publicly affirm uh, my lifestyle, then I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Well, in that case— they're asking you to actually do something contrary to your convictions and and that's you, you may not be able to do that but the person drawing the line in the sand is the other person not the christian now the christian has convictions about these things and you don't want to compromise their convictions but at the same time it doesn't mean they have to broadcast them all the time yeah. and if she didn't want to hear christian music okay well then she didn't have to then don't annoy her with that. She doesn't want to hear Christian talk? Okay, don't annoy her with that. What can you do? Spend time and show her kindness and love. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of a passage—I'm just going to turn there now—it's uh, a little different application, but it is. But the principle, I think, is a valid one, and this is chapter 3 of First Peter. Okay, and it starts out with directives to wives who are not married to Christian husbands. And what Peter says is, in the same way you wives, because talking about patterns of submission here prior to that in chapter 2, in the same way, in other words, in like manner of submission, wives be submissive to your own husbands. Now, this is not a popular notion, but I, I'm not pressing sure. the submissive issue, uh, although that's what Peter says. I mean, that's what we sh- it should be the case. But look at the consequence. That's what I'm after here, okay? There's a behavior that the Christian woman Adorns herself with, that has a salutary effect, or impact on the non-Christian person. Okay, it says so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Now, in this case, the behavior of the wives is submission to the husband. Okay, but the concept of our behavior, winning someone over when words are not adequate or appropriate for the moment still applies. And this is what I would tell your friend in the tactics class. I'd say, don't don't try to use tactics. Uh, don't use anything. Th- th- this is not an opportunity for that dad to win his estranged daughter in 40 years without yep. contact. I mean, and then to come in and start preaching at her? No, yep. that's not going to work. Now, I know that he's doing it out of concern for her. But this is where sometimes we just lay down that sword and we take a whole different approach. We're not affirming, we're not agreeing, but our silence isn't necessarily agreement. And sometimes we feel, well, if I don't say something contrary to it, they'll think I'm all okay with this. No, don't, don't worry about that. Pray, be kind. Go have dinner with her and her, her you know significant other and, and uh, hang just do it, do normal stuff and just show love for this gal who hasn't experienced paternal love for a long time, let's face it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the circumstances, I'm not blaming Dad, I'm just saying, you know, he's a stranger to her. Sure. And so to come in and show her a kind of a a, a non-judgmental love. He's not fussing with her about things. He's not criticizing. He's not looking down his nose. He's not looking, acting like he's on unholy ground when he's there. But just being generous and gracious, that could be very powerful. Now, it also can be very hard to do, and I acknowledge
1: and try to, that. Okay. Try to build that relationship
0: with her. That's right. Now, uh, have, do you know who, and I almost always butcher her first name, and maybe Kyle could help me, Rosaria Butterfield. Butterfield. Okay, yep. yeah, I think I said it right this time, Rosaria Butterfield. Yep. Now, she was a lesbian who became a Christian over a period of time being exposed or being associated with a, a pastor, two years, and his hospitality. Mm-hmm. And she's written a couple of books about that. We have had her on the show, and uh, but she's got a, a, a more recent book out that's titled The uh, Gospel Comes with a House Key.
1: I've actually
0: read that. Oh, yes. good. Okay. Well, t- it you know, I might share that with him. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, good. Well, you're in a much better position than I am then to give advice. But you, of course, the concept is pretty obvious. It's the hospitality and the kindness shown people, not necessarily preaching at them about what they're doing wrong that makes the biggest difference. And uh, and and that's I think where he's at. D- he tell him, don't worry, the pressure's off. Don't worry about convincing her of your view. Worry about convincing her of your love. It could take years. But yeah. he's not the only Christian influence or presence in the world that can make a difference, and God's the one who's in charge. God can still bring other people into her life. And if the the impact or the interaction she has with him has a salutary Impact on her regarding other Christians, and on a negative, it means that much. She'll be that much more open when God does bring someone else in, which I would pray for. Indeed, that is the object of my prayer too. Does that help?
1: Awesome. Yes, that, that's a great. Uh, you you refreshed my memory about the Rosaria Butterfield book, and I'm going to
2: share that with them as
1: well. And and uh, I, I I remember a story uh, I was reading about uh, the uh, Jane Doe and and um, the gentleman that led her to faith. And it was the same kind of hmm. uh, where he, he moved his office near where where uh, she worked. In, you mean in like the, as uh, in
0: Doe versus Bolton, you mean the companion case to Roe versus Wade? Is that what you, the Jane you're talking about?
1: No, this is actually the, the actual uh, Roe versus Wade. Oh, I
0: see that, Jane. Okay, because there was yeah, a we, Okay, right.
1: Yeah, we, we read a book by, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the name, um, the, the the two brothers that, uh, uh, Benham brothers. Okay. David and Jason Benham. And mm-hmm. and their father was actually the one that led them, uh, led Jane Doe to mm-hmm. Christ, mm-hmm. in her, uh, her lesbian partner. Yeah. And it was the same type of a scenario, just, you know, showing them love, inviting them to dinner, and, and bringing them into the house. It's similar to, uh, the Rosario Butterfield mm-hmm. uh, story. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Sometimes it, it's a, the, uh, is the same Proverbs, a soft tongue breaks the bone. Is that Proverbs, or or is that Ben Franklin? I don't know, but it's a good one.
1: <laughs> yes, it is.
0: All right, Bob, thank you for calling.
1: Thanks, Greg, I appreciate it. All
0: right, buddy, take care, bye. All right, let's go to break, and back with more of
3: your calls on Stand to Reason. Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Alan, Tim, John, and I, Robbie Lashua, are available both in person and online. Just email booking at str.org to schedule us today. We can address a wide array of topics, from bioethics, gender issues, and science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read our bios and learn more about the topics we cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, John, or me, Robbie, today. As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And red pen logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, red pen logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking, and we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic, and subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed.
0: All right, I love that riff. That's my cue that my mic is on. It is a nice little riff. Greg Cokal here. Stand a reason eight five five two four three nine nine seven five. Got callers on board right now. I'll take us to the rest of the show probably, but it's good for you to have that number if you're listening and want to call me during the show time, which is uh, Los Angeles time. 4 till 6 p.m. Okay, that would be daylight, slavings time. All right, let's go to Mr. Zub. I think that's the Tim I'm calling here. Let me find uh, the button. Is the button flashing? Yes. Hello, Tim, in Ontario.
4: Um, Not Ontario.
0: <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Who did I just... Yeah, is this... Okay, this is Tim in Canada.
4: Yes, it's Tim in Canada. <laughs>
0: okay, it's a different Tim. Sorry about that.
4: Can you hear me well?
0: I can hear you fine. I just got—I I just imagined I was talking to someone else. <laughs> All right, Tim. Good to talk to you. Thank you for calling.
2: You too. Thank you.
0: What's your question?
4: Oh, sorry. Um, first I'll tell you what happened the other day. Um, it was around Easter dinner. Well, after and um, with my family, my sister and her husband. Um, and I was, uh, you know, we weren't talking about much. We don't really talk much about Easter. I was getting kind of a little bit bored so um my nephew with her son it it wasn't there because he's downstairs playing games on the computer all the time Mm -hmm. i finally asked him the question like which i haven't directly asked him but don't doesn't doesn't that bother you that he's always on the computer and um right away i could tell that you know that was quite the wrong question to ask and uh i've said a few things in the past like made little comments but not really directly asked them if that, why that doesn't bother them. But, um, yeah, they don't like that. And, you know, I, I, they came up with a few comments. Well, you know, he said he talked to his mom about it. And she said she, the way she did when her kids were going up, is he let them do what they want so much until they got bored of it. And with, I didn't really like that. Wait, answer. she said
0: that she, wait, I, I'm, I just want to make sure I'm getting this right. She said, uh, when you raise the issue of his, his usage, uh and i guess this is at your home when this is happening that it's she that, said yeah. say again
4: it's that uh where i work i saw. It. i see him every day it's where i work oh
0: They're where you there. where you work okay so this is yeah. not a relative
4: no this, yeah no it's my uh my nephew oh it's
0: your nephew but you work with your work, nephew work. and and how can he be gaming if he's working
4: well no, he's not working i'm working
0: oh you're working where your nephew lives
4: yeah yeah, they live in the basement there.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. And he's gaming all the time.
4: All the time. And
0: your sister, his mother says what?
4: She says there's not much they can do. You know, they they know they don't like it, they say, but you know, they're just, they're letting it kinda of be because they figure he'll do it until he gets bored of it, then he'll go on to something else.
0: Okay. Well, uh, okay, well, this is a parenting issue, and your yeah. sister's his parent. Okay. Yeah. To me, what was just offered is not wise. <laughs> no. He can I, do no, this I... thing that is probably not good for him, and he'll keep doing it until he gets bored. Sometimes he never get bored. They yeah. just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. There's a mesmerizing element, it's like watching TV. You know, you just get mesmerized. You get, uh, yeah. what's the word, you know, hypnotized uh, yeah. by, the, by the experience. It's an out of. It's a altered state of consciousness, okay? So I, I, I'm i not of the opinion that parents should just let their kids keep doing something that's not really good for them until they finally get bored and then move to something else that may not no. be good for them until they get bored with that. No, Okay. Me
4: neither. Having four kids, me neither. <laughs>
0: okay, so here's the problem for you, though, Johnny. And the problem for you is that you're Uncle Johnny, and Tim. you're not Mom or Dad.
4: Not Johnny, Tim. <laughs>
0: And so if you tell, you know, mom, hey, you know, then, she, you know, she, you, can, you can suggest, but there's not much you could do if yeah. your sister isn't willing to act. And I, I don't know, a lot of times the, you know, the complaint is I have a strong-willed child, and as one person put it, most of the strong-willed child's problem is a weak-willed parent, that the parents aren't willing to put the boundaries down for the benefit and the well-being of the child. And, yep. uh, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that because I have two teenagers, an 18 and a 15 year old, both girls. And yep. it's, it's a challenge It's in yep. our culture and the kinds of things that are distracting. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I you know I it, when I think about somebody gaming a lot, I think, you know get a life, that's not a life. What's that what is that? that?'s just that's just a, a waste of your life now I, yeah. I, I, I want to say this though, uh, because without kind of revealing identities, there's some other family I was very close to who had a son that gamed constantly. Okay now I'm, I'm on the one hand I'm saying I think this is a dangerous habit I think it's not yep. a good healthy way to spend your life okay you don't learn virtuous things okay when you you don't learn how to be a hard worker and use your time well and be productive and be be uh diligent at things I guess someone could say they're learning to be diligent at being good at the game playing but that's not a noble enterprise in my view so yep. on balance I think that's a problem there can be there everybody is allowed some distraction from reality you know on a regular basis because that's called recreation of some sort now that's but when it becomes life consuming that i think is a real problem not now having said that in this other family i was talking about this particular uh, young man struck me as being completely consumed by the gaming in fact he was quite uh quite a proficient at these combat yeah. games which you pay play with other people you can play all over the world with people
4: uh, and another thing they 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 said it was um there, it was better it was okay because he had friends on the other line that we playing it too so he's not like by himself right so that that made it was more no, easy to it,
0: right? it, that's like saying i'm by i'm not by myself when i'm sitting in this booth talking to the world Yeah, (laughs) I get to talk to you once. Johnny and Tim's coming up, or New York Tim, Johnny's coming up, and other people. But really, I'm talking to myself most of the time. I'm alone in a booth. It isn't like I'm building relationships, you know, in a comp. So so anyway, so that just strikes me as a a, a poor justification. All right.
1: Yeah, but I will tell
0: you about this one individual. He ended up going in the Marines. Uh, No, he he went in the Navy because he was a corpsman and uh, went in the military for four or five years and then learned a bunch of medical stuff and then became a very, very skilled medical professional. And I'm thinking, man, it's amazing that he went from this thing, and I thought there's no, this is a dead end for him, that he went into this whole other area. So all I'm saying is there can be exceptions to the pattern, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a good pattern. I think young people ought to learn to be productive. They yeah. ought to learn to be making a contribution. You know, people say, oh, kids grow up so fast these days. And I disagree with them. I don't think kids grow up. I think that growing up means that you, 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 you produce something worthwhile and you take responsibility for stuff. You shoulder yeah. responsibility. You produce things worthwhile. That's growing up. Okay? Kids don't do that. What they get nowadays is they get the privileges of that without the work. And so when they get all this stuff for free, so to speak, like they get sex without being married, right? What it does is corrupts them. So kids get corrupted now because they get the privileges of responsibility without having to take the responsibility. That's not good for them. Okay. Yeah. And I think that that something like that is going on when people are always doing this kind of thing, and it's very hard now with technology. It's just terrible. I, you know, I one of the worst things I ever did was get iPhones for my daughters. Yeah. (laughs) But but it's kind of hard to avoid it now because it becomes what feels like a life's necessity.
4: Well, then everyone else has one too. They
0: there's no way to part be part of the community unless you're doing that. But then you get captured by this thing and and putting limits on it is really hard anyway that's oh. another issue and the yeah. one that you were raising though about uh, you're in a hard spot because you're i mean what you can do you're the uncle so you can yeah. try to get the kid and invite him to go somewhere away from the computer to do something that you can do together that will be fun and,
4: for him yeah i've done stuff like that like i don't have a license so i can't really take him anywhere but I've gone outside and played basketball with him. With oh good, he, you know. But it's now they getting a little He's fourteen. He, he he It's just even more on the computer all the time, right? It was bad. It was bad two years ago. Now it's even worse, right? It's just so it's, it's just getting harder to. Well, get, so. the
0: fact that you're in his life is good, and that you can distract him from some of these things is good. Okay, yeah. and the fact that you're an uncle. See, uncles have special roles. They're not parents, so they don't kind of get on the kid like a parent does. But you can talk to him. You know, his defenses aren't going to be up if you're not pounding on him. And you say, "Hey, what's up? What What do you plan to do? How, where are you going with your life? What do you want to be when you grow up? What What, do you, what are your plans?" Excuse me. You could talk to him about that. Those yeah. kinds of things, and 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 that could be, you know, a distraction. Get him going in a new avenue, or direction, or something like that. I don't know. I. I, 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 part of the reason I've, I'm feeling right now a little frustrated for you is because I'm frustrated in my own circumstances and having to deal with technology that I think in my family that is getting uh, a foothold that I don't know that I can manage well. Okay? Yeah. Because there's a downside whenever you start managing things, you know, and, and, and relationally, and so you, all of these things have to be taken into consideration.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So I I hope that helps a little bit for you, Tim.
4: Yeah. Well, is there, what did you say? Is there a question I could ask the parents that would maybe like a nice...
0: Well, it sounds like the parents are not interested in interfering with his behavior.
4: Yeah. And... Kind of, Yeah.
0: And I, I don't know, do they ever come over to your house to visit?
4: Oh, well, no, but I see them every day, too. Cause they, oh, that's cause they, right.
0: That's right. So yeah. they don't want to come to visit because you see them all the time, right?
4: Yeah,
0: yeah so yeah, I, yeah I, I you get to a point where you can't actually tell the parents how to parent anymore. You can suggest some things, but you can't be riding them all the time because they're not your kids. Unless yeah. it was really, really something illegal or dangerous, you know, physically dangerous or whatever.
4: Not a, it's not like a bad game or gaming he's doing, right? So they're they're okay
0: with that. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, yeah, well, the, I guess the best thing to do is to is to find something else he might be more interested in than playing those video games. That's all I can think of. But
4: yeah, and then like like with the first question, is I just just love him and be there for him, right?
0: And distract him. That's what I'm yeah. suggesting. But I I think it's discouraging circumstance the the intrusion that this kind of technology has made into our ordinary lives it's an yeah. intrusion and uh, yeah. i'm not so subs- i'm not susceptible to it uh, i mean i, I could say that honestly my to- phone is a tool i don't use yeah. it unless i'm ph- texting or calling or whatever and it's just business stuff or my family yeah. but uh, it's not it's not you know surgically attached to my body like it is for young, some people. And uh, and same thing with the computer. I don't, even professionally, I don't surf around on the net because it just, it's not me. And I just stay yeah. away from social media and stuff like that. I've got a life. I've got other things to do that are more important to me. And I have a team that helps me stay abreast of whatever I need to be aware of. But uh, but lots of people, this is their whole life. You know, they're just always into all this stuff. And, and uh, I think it's unfortunate, but that's yeah. what, That's the color of the world right now. So, all right, Tim.
4: Yeah, thank you very much, Greg.
0: All right, buddy. Thank you for your call. Let's go to a quick break and uh, come back for our final caller. Johnny in North Carolina. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love hashtag STR Ask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STR Ask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRASK. That's hashtag STRASK.
1: Have you ever wondered how Stand to Reason is able to produce fresh, accessible content each week? We rely on generous donors so that we can provide you with the tools and tactics you need to be an effective ambassador for Christ. If you've benefited from this podcast
4: or any of our donor-provided resources, including our apps, blog posts, articles, and short videos, consider making a financial contribution to Stand to Reason today. Just visit str.org donate to show your financial
0: support. It has been an honor providing you with a host of free resources for more than 27 years to help you give voice to the Christian worldview. Help us continue by making a financial gift today at str.org slash donate. All right, final segment here on our show. And Johnny in North Carolina has been waiting a long time. And Johnny, thanks so much for your patience.
2: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me.
0: Sure. What's up? Where in North Carolina uh, are you, by the way? I'm just curious.
2: Uh Winston-Salem. The oh, Winston Salem. That's north of Charlotte.
0: Yeah. Um I'm gonna be there in next week weekend after next. I'm gonna be right in that area, but I don't think it's Winston Salem. But uh Yeah,
2: that's the the triad.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. What's up, Johnny?
2: Uh well I guess you could say I'm following up from uh a comment I posted on the uh, video that y'all have on YouTube. Uh, the name of the, co- uh, the video was uh, "The Question That Stops Christians in Their Track." Oh yeah, yeah, I did that and, one. Yes. Um, well, I was uh, listening to it. You know, I believe it came up uh, via algorithm or something. But I don't know how uh-huh. it came about, but the, the, the title caught my. Attention! Sure, because I'm like you know. Uh, well, I used to be Christian, and that's a question that would definitely be uh, a stickler for anybody. Um, yeah. So the uh, the question that I asked uh, in the comments was, "Why is Christianity so militant?" I don't know if it was you that replied to it, but
0: um, I, I didn't my reply. Advice. I, di- I didn't reply, so it would have been somebody else, okay. But uh, and it some, I might not yeah. have been anybody from our team. It might have been somebody just from the internet.
2: Yeah, admin or somebody. That's okay. Uh, they invited me to call into the show, so I was like, okay, let me sure. do
0: that. Well, I'm glad you called, Johnny, but I have a question for you. you, you your, yeah. your question presumes something, and the yeah. presumption is that Christianity is militant and so I'm curious what, what you what you mean by in in what sense is Christianity militant?
2: Well, uh, in the video, you was talking about uh, taking a tactical tactical approach to uh, addressing people who come and say, you know, if you, uh, if I don't believe like you do, does that mean I'm going to hell? Right, because uh, I think it was Deepak Chopra. Yeah,
0: who that's mentioned.
2: Right. Hey, uh, asked you that question. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I was like, "Yeah, well, he's taking a tactical approach to it, and it it brings with it brings a bell with me when it comes to um, how I've seen, well, how I've seen a lot of people uh, in the Christian community. Can't say it's everybody." Uh. They'll stand on the street corners or go to funerals and protest that they this person's going to hell. You know, and and I have wait, I've wait, wait just wait,
0: Christ. Johnny, wait, I just so I'm clear, did you say you've gone to funerals where Christians have showed up and protested that the person who died is no, going to hell?
2: No, I've seen it. Oh, I've seen where people have gone to funerals and, and oh, I see. Okay, I think they were they were they were bi- they were gay or something like that Yeah
0: oh I know um, I know what you're talking about there's a church yeah. that was in Kansas that used to do this the guy died yeah. you know and uh somebody should have showed up at his funeral and said the same thing my suspicion but would you say that what happened in that case that went on the air and a lot of people saw it would you see that's characteristic of Christians Uh
2: most Christians I mean if it's, you really want I mean it's like um in the video, you're teaching people how to skirt around the question. Wait, in a if, nutshell, Deepak Chopra wrapped up in a nutshell everything that Christianity stands for if you're a Christian that's going to go by the Bible.
0: Okay, wait just a second. Hold on, Johnny. Wait, you're going a different yeah. direction than the question I asked. I simply asked, do you think it's characteristic of Christians to show up at funerals and claim publicly— that the person who just died is in hell? Is that characteristics of the way Christians respond at funerals? That's all I was asking.
2: I said not all Christians.
0: Not Oh, not all Christians. But, I, what I yeah, asked you was characteristic. But, or
2: does characteristic, that seem like... You know, well, it's, it's not that that that's what happens with all Christians. No, well, I only case, know
0: of it happening one time, or with one group of people, so... Um,
2: well, I see, uh, I see protests, or not protests, but uh, on TV where Christians are, you know, just preaching, you know, you're going to hell. I saw one oh, down, well, that's, that's down true. Well, there downtown one time, well, there you are know, he had a podium set up, and a sign on it said, you're going to hell unless you accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay. You know,
0: cool. and
2: that came from the Inquisition, by the
0: way. Right. Okay, so um, my question yeah. is, how is that militant? Because that's the co- complaint. I acknowledge that people do that. I gotcha. Okay. Whether their style is the most effective way to communicate a message Is another question, and that some people don't like it, they can walk away. But uh, uh, it certainly isn't characteristic of Christians to preach on the street. That's very rare. It is characteristic of Christians to communicate a message that forgiveness is available through Jesus, and apart from Jesus, You stand before God with the crimes that you commit, such as they are, and you'll have to pay for those crimes. That is characteristic of Christians, okay? Yeah. So, uh, but your claim was, why are Christians so militant? Did you mean militant? Well, like
2: I said, you have expressed a militant behavior on the video, saying let's take a tactical approach to this question.
0: Well, you mean because I used the word tactical, that means I'm militant?
2: And it's always, you know... A lot of people, there, you know, it's it's you put on the whole armor of God, and just a lot of Christians I've met uh-huh. always have this sort of, you well, know. W-
0: let me yeah. ask you this question: Would you say that there's a difference between acting militant and using military metaphors in conversation? No. No.
2: I think you're not so, understanding what I'm trying to tell you. No,
0: this is why I'm asking the question. So when somebody says it's there's a war on, a you, war on drugs, well, would you say the people are being militant because they say there's a war on drugs? Because they're using the word war.
2: I don't know. I guess you could say that's true. I mean, it's, if you're using, you know, tactical words, I mean... Uh, I mean, if you want to say tactical, you might as well say the rest
0: yeah, of it. Yeah, that is a liability of using language like tactics, because people get the feeling yeah. that this is too, too militant. But the militant part comes out in the behavior, not in the language, and that's the question I'm asking. The, be, the language the might entail... The was clear. Let's, let me just finish the thought. The, beha- the language might contain military metaphors, stand at attention, or whatever. But it doesn't mean, or they blew taps for him, or something like that. That doesn't, that's not the same as acting in a military fashion, or a militant fashion, where you're bringing violence.
2: exaggerating what I'm saying.
0: No, that's what I'm asking.
2: You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of Christians like they're on a mission from God, and they yeah feel like they have to go preach the gospel.
0: Yes, they do. You know,
2: I mean, not necessarily shove it down your throat, but they're going to still threaten you with okay. death, hell, and the like, of fire, and even demons.
0: Okay, so I understand. You know, you. I I was... think, okay, I think I understand your concern here, but let me explain what uh, the. Let me try to answer your question. The reason that sometimes Christians seem militant to you um, is because they're convinced. That there is danger for people, and they are warning them of a danger that they're convinced is real.
2: Yeah, it goes back to the question Deepak Chopra asked. Well, which is very—it was just very—it was the way he asked. a very disrespectful way of viewing the world.
0: Wait, wait, wait!
2: You disrespect people when you ask them, when you tell, when you imply salvation. You also imply.
0: Right. But wait a minute. I'm not sure why... I'm not sure exactly... You're referring to a conversation with Deepak Chopra that's televised, and you can get the video. I don't think I was disrespectful to him. Um, Some people think the other thing, it was the other way around, but but the question, but I'm asking, let me ask you a question. If your doctor said to you, took a good look at you, and said to you, you're dying of cancer, and if you don't get this chemotherapy, you're going to be a dead man in a month, would you say that that was somehow cruel or militant?
2: No, that's not, or even, that's not even relevant.
0: Well, wait, wait. Why do you think that it's...
2: That question isn't even relevant. Uh,
0: let me... Let me... Okay,
2: now, so now, if a doctor wants to try to brainwash me and convince me that I've got cancer... Okay, so, so I agree you with charge you. ...charge me for, you know, that. I... that's what I'm talking about. Okay,
0: I agree with you that uh, that that there shouldn't be any brainwashing involved. Any
2: brainwashes wait. people, Johnny... and I'm a victim of it, and I've, I've been there, done that. Okay. i spent 10 years as a Christian.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, Johnny, let me let me explain my side of this, or my point of view. Okay, I don't know, ahead. Johnny, but I'm going to have to have a conversation. So I'll say some things, and I'll let you respond, and then you be quiet while I respond. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, good. So um, the, the 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 I don't agree with brainwashing either, hammering people. I don't know. You've never listened to the show before. You only heard that one video of mine. But what I try to do is explain to people the reasons why they're in peril people can decide for themselves whether they're in peril or not. To me, it's a perfect parallel to a doctor who uh, assesses a circumstance. He says, you're in danger, and here is the antidote. You can take it or leave it, but offering the antidote and giving the danger is not necessarily militant, even if he's sincere and he's certain in his own proclamation of that. That's my same approach as a Christian person. Okay, your turn.
2: Well, like I said, the only thing I'm referring to as militant is one specific term in the video. Okay.
0: Otherwise, well then you said the terms are military terms, but what your question was why are why is Christianity so militant? That's what you started with. So now I'm a little confused. we've got
2: past that already. I'm just I'm assuming uh, you know uh, we've understood that.
0: Okay. So the it's answer very
2: it is very militant.
0: Okay, so uh, okay, well, well, now you're making the same claim again. Let, let's clear this up. I used a military term, tactics, in my discussion about maneuvering in conversations with people, okay? You're do, using a tactical approach with me with your questions and your interaction. I'm using the same kind of tactics. Just because we're using what might be called tactics doesn't mean we're being militant towards each other. So let's get the militant stuff out of the way. Uh, what you what troubles you? It sounds like is that people are, who are Christians, are convinced that they're correct and they're trying to persuade other people of that. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. It
2: implies you know salvation is implies condemnation.
0: Okay, so you don't like a lot the of claim... people
2: out there who or, or don't have the wherewithal to understand that they might be falling for something that's just like a placebo effect. And it's just it's effective brainwashing.
0: Well, I would—that's the question, isn't it? I mean, brainwashing is a pretty strong term, but the question is whether it, it whether it is a placebo effect or not. If it's a placebo, it's only a placebo because it sounds good, but it's false. So you have to have some reason to believe it's false, even though it sounds good, to call it a placebo. So why do you think that Christianity is false?
2: Well, for one, there's no way to prove that hell exists. Okay, you take away hell, you might as well put salvation out the window with it.
0: Well, what okay, hell? Because
2: hell was, hell was designed to scare people into submission in the old days, ancient times. This is understood if anybody does their homework.
0: Well, no, actually, okay, there are people who hold that view, all right? But your presumption is that there is no hell. And since you said hell can't be proved in some way, then it can't be disproved either. So that's just that's just an ambiguous point at this at this point of our discussion. Uh, the case for Christianity is based on something that's something that can be proved, and hell turns out to be a piece of the larger puzzle. Okay, so the no. main case for Christianity group. would be the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so what what is your take on on a Jesus of Nazareth?
2: Uh, well, I believe from what I've understood. Uh, he's been—it's it's a myth. Sure. Uh, I believe it was, Mo, it was either Pope or somebody said Pope Leo the tenth, or somebody said uh, this myth of Christ as prophet. You know, um, and there's a lot of—I mean, there's no real secular uh, proof that Jesus ever existed because in ancient times, during the time that Jesus was supposed to have lived. Uh, there is a lot of recorded history going on. A lot of scholars, a lot of uh, scribes and scholars, a lot of historians, ancient historians. Okay, the outside of the Bible, there's literally—I mean, I've heard about Jesus might have been an initiate at the Great Pyramids. I've heard he was in India, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of the things he teaches is the single eye meditation. If you're obvious single, your body should be full of light. That's a meditation in Eastern philosophy.
0: Right. Johnny, can I he's respond to that? Can I respond to the claim yeah. about history? Okay, do you know who Bart Ehrman is? Have you ever heard uh, that? I mean? have?
2: Yeah, yeah, I you Have. He's
0: one of the biggest critics of Christianity around. He used to be a Christian, he's not now. Bart Ehrman said the claim that you just made, that Jesus is a myth, is completely false. He also says, oh. and he, he's actually from your neck of the woods, he's one of the best New Testament scholars in the world, and he says there is not an educated New Testament scholar or scholar of ancient ancient Near Eastern history that believes that Jesus is a myth. Now, that doesn't mean he's risen from the dead or anything like that, but your claim I'm was i I'm talking that, about
2: actual recorded. Yes, he's talking
0: about the same thing. In fact, he goes into great detail. He actually wrote a book about it. He said there are, that are, that are multiple attested early accounts with great detail— about Jesus of Nazareth, and they come from multiple sources. We know a lot about the person of Jesus.
2: I haven't been able to find those sources. No, no. well,
0: okay, you might want to check with Bart Ehrman. You haven't been looking, apparently. I have with Bart Ehrman. I don't okay, think a lot of his the, stuff well, is the, real. Yeah, the, point, the point I'm making is one of the most serious critics of Christianity, who is deeply lettered in the field, has acknowledged that there's not, there's hardly a, a scholar in the world of that period, who believes Jesus is a myth. That's got to mean that there is solid evidence historically for the person of Jesus of Nazareth and a whole lot of details of his life. That's all I'm saying at this point, okay? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we agree on everything, but uh, like all of the scholars agree that everything that we've heard about Jesus is really true. But it's interesting that you say Jesus is a myth, and then you cite some evidence that you think you heard about Jesus being in India without giving any reason. But that reason.
2: would be contrary to Christian beliefs. A lot of Christians reject well, that kind of stuff. Well,
0: well, it would be contrary to fact as well, because there's no evidence that that's the case. And plus, I mean, when you think about it, India is a long walk from Palestine. Yeah, so it's unlikely in the extreme that he would have spent any time there. Plus, his theology wasn't Eastern, if you read the New Testament. Look at Johnny, I'm out of time here. However, I just want yeah. you to know I really appreciate you calling, and I appreciate the conversation.
2: Yeah, And Take hope,
0: care. Okay, maybe you'll call back again. We'll talk some more. Thank you. All right, no problem. All Bye. the best. Bye-bye. That's it. There's my music, friends. It's a great conversation. Greg Kokel here for Standard Reason. Give them heaven. Bye-bye now.